Hi, welcome to Wondrous Moms. Educator Moms, we've got you. We're Felice and Christine. Between the two of us, we have five kids and several decades experience working in education from K-12 to higher ed. We know the joy and stress you are under as educators and moms and want to bring you the best and most helpful minutes of your week to help you get through it all. Hi, and welcome to episode two, Imposter Syndrome and Recognizing You Are Enough. This is Felice. Today, we'll be talking about imposter syndrome and the idea that as educators and moms, we are enough even when we don't feel like it. So today, we're going to jump into our crazy proud mom moments before we get into our topic because each episode, we want to share something that was either crazy from our mom lives or something that we're also proud about because sometimes those are at the same time. So um, sometimes we can experience being both crazy, hectic, and also proud. So Christine, do you want to talk about one of your crazy proud mom moments from the past week? Um, This week was both because I got very sick and it was also Halloween. And it was also a lot of grading at school. So my crazy proud moment was, and we have a new puppy, which is very time consuming. And I was quite sick. And my oldest son, Beckett, was so wonderful without me even asking. This is my proud mom moment. Without me even asking him, he totally took charge of his younger brother and the puppy. Several times I heard him out in the hallway saying, don't bother mommy, Dash. Your mommy's sick. She needs to lie down. And he was taking the dog out and that's amazing. Watching my kid. <laughs> it was really nice. And then later on, he watched some movies in bed with me and brought me tea, which was really sweet. So that was a proud mom moment oh, for me. Oh, you're older? My older one, yeah. Oh, that's so sweet. It's it so nice to hear how you're older and younger who are... 18, well, almost 18, 17 and five. <laughs> so... <laughs> 12 years. 12 years. Between wow. them. Yeah. Yeah. So that was very helpful. Yes. That's one benefit of the nice age gap there. Yeah. So my crazy proud mom moment, I guess, is going to be Halloween costumes. This week was Halloween. And I know Mm -hmm. as wondrous moms, it's kind of a stressful week for teachers and moms, like the pressure to get everything ready and have costumes for your kids. And then all that going back down into the schools and how your kids are coming home with treats or not, depending on how the schools do things. So it just can be a little bit of a hectic week. Um, but I was able to pull off a family theme costume this year. Did you? Yes. All five of us had a part in the, in Alice in Wonderland. Wonderful. Who was the Mad Hatter? You had to My husband, one. of course. Yeah. <laughs> I love the Mad Hatter. That's the best costume. And I was the Queen of Hearts, which oh, I think also nice. was sitting. So um, isn't she the one who kind of controls? Oh, yeah. Them? Off with their heads. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, my kids told me I was a nice Queen of Hearts. Okay. So in our wonderland, the Queen of Hearts is also benevolent. And so the kids were Alice and the White Rabbit nice. and Cheshire Cat. And I was able to pull together these costumes. It took a little bit of advanced planning, but I was into it. So I made the choice to spend the time thinking about it because it was something that I had fun doing. A nice I need, distraction. I need a picture. I can't I believe you did not send me one. That's amazing. <laughs> That's an amazing group costume. Yeah, so it was fun. I'm already thinking about what is our group going to be next year because I don't think my kids will participate for all the years ahead. But yeah. we've already done, like, um, we were farmers one year and the kids were barnyard animals. Yeah. Uh, we did uh, Wizard of Oz last year. That's a good except one. Except one of the kids wouldn't participate, so... Uh-oh. But four out of five of us were Wizard of Oz, <laughs> so it's fun. I'll take it while I can, you yeah. know, while they're still little and want to do it with us. 
Yeah, we did that when Beckett was young, but Dash, we didn't do it with. I think maybe we've worn ourselves out. <laughs> I just can't do it now. Yeah, I hear you. And it's like extra work. So you mm-hmm. have to decide if it's something you want to prioritize. Mm-hmm. And I enjoyed it and had fun. And my husband, not so into procuring or planning, but he will participate. So give him that costume. Yes. He'll wear it, yep. right? Yep. Yep. It's funny you said that about teachers and Halloween because I, one of my teacher friends posted on Facebook a meme and it said something like, Let's support all those teachers that have to go to school on Halloween day because we all know how hard that is. Or the day after. And the day after too. With yeah. all the kids who had candy and for breakfast. Up late. Yes, it is a big deal. Yes. So let's jump into our topic. So today we're talking about imposter syndrome. And this is something that I don't think as educators we often hear too much about. I know in higher education and academia, it does. It's been coming up more and more, but it's also something that I think educators at all levels Mm -hmm. deal with. It is. I think um, especially when I was getting my PhD, I had a hard time of it because I had a baby and then I was doing my dissertation and then I was diagnosed with breast cancer. And so I was doing all of that at once. And I never really stopped to look at how much effort I had put in during that time until other people pointed it out to me and said, wow, you were doing all those things at the same time and you still got your doctorate and got a job and became successful. And I never felt successful. I did feel like I had imposter syndrome. I felt like I somehow, I don't know, jumped through hoops too quickly and I didn't feel like I was as smart as my degree was saying, if that makes sense. And especially when I got into a higher ed situation where you are competing with people that come from different backgrounds. And I don't know, I just, I I always felt like maybe I am not as good as, or not good enough or not smart enough or not capable enough until other people tell me I am. Mm -hmm. And I think that happens to a lot of women in education where they feel that way. And it's probably one of the reasons we don't see as many women and especially um, moms with young kids in leadership roles, right? Right. Because you're juggling all that still at home. And I think, well, and I feel like being a mom has really grounded me. If I ever got too big for my britches and thought I was so smart, all I need to do is go home to my own kids who will say, you know, you forgot to, you know, put the milk away this morning. It's been sitting on the counter all day. Oh, yeah, I did yeah, miss well, that. Sleep deprivation will yes, do that to you. Sleep deprivation will do that. And I think the fact that we have to juggle so much does that. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah, true. I mean, you can have all the support at home, but especially the physicality of having very young kids, it, it does take a bigger toll on the women, especially if you're birthing the babies and having them yourself yeah. and nursing and doing all those physical kinds of things right. that really can't be outsourced to anyone else. Mm-hmm. Not easily. And especially on a teacher's salary, it doesn't get outsourced Mm -hmm. very easily. And that is a good point because I'm sure we'll talk about this in future episodes, but I think that is one of the struggles as educator moms is that we do have big jobs. We are responsible Mm -hmm. for a lot of things. Even if you are, quote, just an elementary school teacher teaching a class of second graders, it's still a really big job and you have a lot of big responsibilities, but you don't get the big paycheck that you might get with some other big jobs that have a lot of responsibilities and time demands. So you can't necessarily make those easy choices to outsource. I get, you know, when you read different um, 
sources of support for working moms, a lot of times will say, well, hire this or hire that right. or get more childcare or buy pre-made things. And there's all these suggestions that cost a lot of money. Right. And it does. And I think um, it might actually contribute to that imposter syndrome of you're supposed to be a hundred percent at your job all the time. Right. But then you have to leave because you can't afford to outsource the daycare and what whatnot. So you don't finish whatever job you started during the day at your job. You have to go home and finish it after the kids have had baths, after they've been put to bed, after all that. I think it becomes kind of a cycle where that might be where we start to feel like imposters. Like, mm-hmm. am I this professor or am I the mom running a household? Yes. And that's another great point because at least in higher ed in particular, you kind of get this feeling that you're supposed to have arrived at this mm-hmm. destination to some extent, as in you worked really hard for this advanced degree and then to not be able to have the resources to even make your job more manageable can feel a little overwhelming at times. And you're not sure how to handle that because you see maybe some single men who are also in the same job as you. Right. Things are easy breezy. They're buying houses and they're doing all these different things. And it's or they can stay late at work until yes. nine at night and go to this com- or this conference or this meeting, which we can't because, as I call it, I go home to my second shift, mm-hmm. which is being the mom full time until everyone's asleep. Then I go back to my first job and start grading and everything else. But I think also anytime someone hears what my job position is outside of academia, they're like, oh, you're a professor. You must be so smart. Oh, I don't want to say anything to embarrass myself in front of you. And that's where I start to really feel like an imposter because I'm like, I'm just like you actually, just because this mm-hmm. is my job. Or they assume that you have certain privileges or that the financial benefits are more than they are because we, as we yes. know in higher ed, it doesn't actually You must make translate. so much money. <laughs> you must be so rich. Um, but anyway, maybe we're getting a little bit far away from the topic of imposter syndrome, but I do think it all kind of relates and connects. It does, because I think be, you become an imposter because of other people's preconceived mm-hmm. ideas of what your job is and mm-hmm. who that means you are. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where we do start to feel like an imposter because people say those things mm-hmm. to us. You must have it all together. Or you must feel you're supposed to, you feel like you're supposed to feel a certain right. way. Like, oh, right. I have arrived. I am supposed to afford these things. And you're like, wait a second. I What's can't. Going on? <laughs> yes. Yeah. So, yeah, but I think that's like society's like yes. expectations of like, what is this vision of a professor in university or, yeah. and teachers, I don't think they get that at all. No. In fact, I think the the current narrative is teachers are underpaid. They are right. working really hard. They are not being compensated in many, many places in the ways that they should be. Absolutely. And the work and the demands are so high that as you all know, it's becoming one of those professions where there's a lot of people who are considering leaving. And mm-hmm. we know that in many places, there's a teacher shortage happening. Yes. So thinking about your roles in kind of being a part of turning that narrative around. Mm-hmm. And if you are in leadership, making sure that you're advocating for your teachers and your staffs to enable people to continue in this profession. I agree. So I will just share a story about... Um, me feeling like I had a little bit of imposter syndrome. I, in our roles as researchers and academics, there's lots of opportunities to present at conferences. It's never really my favorite thing to do. I do it because it's part of what I need to do to share my findings and be a part of the research community. But it's never something that I fully have embraced as that I'm really excited to do. But, you know, playing the game, making this all happen, and I was pregnant with my third child and went to a big conference in the field and was invited to be a part of a panel. 
unbeknownst to me, the panel was going to be meeting in a very large ballroom and there were, I don't know, five or six other groups of researchers who were also presenting their findings alongside me. And I just remember thinking, oh my goodness, I am like, I don't know, I was probably seven months pregnant, feeling mm-hmm. huge, sweaty and hot. Oh, worst. And then I walked into this room where I would be presenting, not realizing it was going to be in a bigger space. I was envisioning a classroom setting, you know, a smaller breakout conference room. And I just got totally overwhelmed because I had this feeling that my research wasn't good enough. Who invited me anyway? Why was I there? And I don't really like doing these kind of speaking engagements anyhow. So... Yeah. It was a very rough hour and a half listening to all the other people talk about their amazing work and findings and then having to go up there by myself, just like sweating and being really nervous and just wondering why I was there. That's stressful. It was really stressful. And then I had my third baby and took a little bit of maternity leave and didn't really travel or attend too many conferences for a good year. I was just kind of like totally overwhelmed and shut down from the process. Mm -hmm. And I don't even know, is that imposter syndrome, this idea where I know I can do certain things if I want to and put the energy into it and make the choice to do it. But sometimes I feel like I don't even like those kinds of aspects of the work. So maybe I'm not supposed to put the energy into it. And I still grapple with that. Is it society's expectations of what I sound like and do when I'm in those Mm -hmm. spaces that makes me nervous? I'm not sure. I'm grappling with that. And I'm not sure what the answer is. Well, I feel like it's kind of competitive in a way, or we may feel like it's competitive when you're put next to other people within your field who have their own research and you you start to feel I think it's a natural feeling where you're like, I'm not good enough, or how does mine measure up to theirs? You're automatically put in that competition. And then I think that makes you feel like the imposter, right? Mm-hmm. Especially when you hear what other people have and you think, is mine, does mine match up? If it doesn't match up, what are they thinking about me? And maybe I shouldn't even be doing this. And this is, I, I think then it leads to all that self-doubt. Because yeah. that's what imposter syndrome is. But I think um, if you read about imposter syndrome, you read about how common it is with women because for so long women weren't put in those positions of power. It's true. And a lot of times when you're at those things, you're up with men. Mm-hmm. So you're automatically feeling that competition of I'm competing with mm-hmm. a male and this isn't traditionally what women were supported in doing years and years ago. So I think maybe that's part of it, the imposter syndrome of of being that professional. Mm -hmm. And I think as educators, I'm always torn between that. Do I like doing what I do because it's more of a supportive job for women? Like staying in a classroom as a K-12 job is, Mm -hmm. it's very common for uh, K-12 educators to to have a family, right? Mm -hmm. And so as we've made our way into higher ed, that's less common. Very much so. mm -hmm. Very much so. So making that shift from K-12 to higher ed, there is this like... It's a big difference because even if you have females in your field in higher ed, a lot of times they don't have children or they had children years and years and years ago. So they are long beyond that role of being just a primary mother and having to... Very few people in our field that I've met until recently had small children. Now I'm meeting more women. You and I both have small children together. Some of the people we work with do. But before that, it wasn't that common for me mm-hmm. to run into women. And especially those women that I know who went into research-oriented positions at R1s. And those women, many of them, um, are don't have children. So. Right. 
it made that route kind of more transparent or possible in yes. some ways because you do have to dedicate a certain number of hours of work right. to work when you're in one of those kinds of positions in a different kind of way. I always yes. explain it as for me, being at a research-focused place takes some of the control away from what I can control mm-hmm. because you don't know if you're going to get the grant. You don't know if you're going to get the peer-reviewed right. article in the best journal in your field. Whereas I feel like with teaching, I can look at my teaching evaluations and I can make tweaks and changes. Absolutely. And I just feel a little bit more in control of what I'm being measured for tenure and promotion, for example. Absolutely. And you're right. You can look at those evaluations and say, you know what, the students were right. That didn't work. I'm going to change that next semester. And you do have that kind of control. But if you don't get the article published in the journals you need to get published in at an R1 or have the grants that you need, there's really, it's, it's harder Mm -hmm. to tweak that. And it takes a longer purview too, right? You might need years to get that grant completed and the article written from the project that you proposed and higher pressure. Yes. So for me as a mom, that was just my choice. Like I decided Mm -hmm. I couldn't dedicate because that's the other thing that choice between how much time and every mom is different. Some moms are wonderful at being scholars at these more um, research oriented places and being okay with how they've set up their schedule. But it just depends on on you as a person and the time you want to dedicate. I guess that's the other thing I learned from going through cancer was realizing that my kids are more important than anything, any job I have, anything. So I do prioritize them. But I think that's true. I think some moms pick and choose what they prioritize career wise. Mm -hmm. And And it's important to do so. Right. And especially if you're going to think about it and take the long view and talk Mm -hmm. about things from the perspective of this is a season of my life. My kids are young. This is the choice I'm going to make right now versus I'm going to ramp it back up. Right. In another few years when all my kids are school age, let's just say. Mm -hmm. So what kinds of ideas do we have for educator moms? Um, Let's even think about some of those K-12. Yes teacher moms out there who are possibly struggling with um, ideas, imposter syndrome. I have a feeling going back after maternity leave is a very Mm -hmm. sensitive time for a lot of teacher moms. I don't think that in this country, in many schools and districts, there are a lot of supports and protections that um, teacher moms are Mm -hmm. able to take advantage of just this idea of even pumping or Mm -hmm. um, having a frail fragile body after right. the experience of childbirth, for example, and then coming back and being on your feet all day. And your body's been, is a battlefield at that point. And mm-hmm. it's not, we're not kind to them and our health is important. And I've had friends who were teachers who deliberately tried to plan their pregnancies. So they would give birth at the end of a semester at the end of like, so they'd have the summer too. So they'd have the yeah. summer and wouldn't feel that pressure. But I mean, isn't that amazing that our, our country in general doesn't support that time off? Because mm-hmm. you wouldn't have to plan it that way otherwise. And that's the only way they can get those months off in a row and not feel that pressure to go back to school so they can bond with their infant. Mm-hmm. And having a child in the middle of the school year, they don't get that option. It's stressful. Definitely. So if any of you out there have uh, experienced this idea of an imposter syndrome when coming mm-hmm. back from maternity leave in particular, we'd love to hear from you if you have a dilemma Mm -hmm. of the day related to that, because we know that there are other wondrous moms out there that would love to also kind of sort those feelings Mm -hmm. out as they navigate 
what does it mean to be a working mom now that you have had a child? What does it mean to be an educator and a mom? Just kind of navigating those multiple roles that are new. Or even um, the moms out there who are educators but are in positions of power. Maybe you're a department chair. Maybe you're becoming a principal or a vice principal. And what kind of imposter syndromes do you encounter being a female leader in academia when you're probably surrounded by a lot of males? Because that happens Definitely in schools where you'll have a female principal, but her whole board of education is male, for example. Yeah, I would love to hear from um, successful stories of navigating that as well, because that's not something that I've seen many role models doing is taking on leadership or administrative roles with very young children or young children Mm -hmm. in mind. And it brings to mind the president of New Zealand who's in this powerful leadership position. And she is there with her baby at meetings and she's rocking it. She was photographed right after having the baby going out of the hospital. And yeah, because leadership roles in in particular, you're often surrounded by a bunch of males, right? Mm -hmm. And they might not understand what it's like that you have to go home and breastfeed in two hours after Mm -hmm. a board meeting or whatever. Yeah. So today let's jump into our dilemma. Okay. So today's dilemma is how do you know when you are done for the day? Mm -hmm. So most educator moms, you know, we have enough work that if you wanted to, you could work a full 24 seven and never take a break. So we should, we should focus on how you might signal to yourself that your professional work is done for the day or week. How do you do that? And it might not be every day, but what are some some of the self-care things you do to tell yourself, you know what, I'm going to be done right now and I'm going to focus on my family or myself. I agree. I think um, for myself, I was intentional this week about prioritizing my time. Last weekend, I went and visited my sister-in-law in Lancaster and I did have a lot of grading to do. And I put the brakes on it. I said, I'm not bringing it with me. I'm going to spend time with my family while I'm here. I took my kid to a great Halloween party with my with our family down there and everyone dressed up and it was so much fun. And I did feel that stress traveling back on Sunday. I have to catch up on all this you know, work, but I was intentional about prioritizing and I actually was able to get my work done and still spend time with my family without letting it bury the other thing. Does that make sense? Yes. For me, I like to take a break from email. Um, That's one of my suggestions is to think about what are your boundaries with email. So I typically do not check my work email at all over the weekend because I don't need, I, I, there's enough days of the week where I am dealing with work email that I do not deal with it over the weekend and that's okay with me. Mm -hmm. And there's rarely been an instance where, and and again, I'm not in a leadership position because maybe that would look different, but that is one of the reasons I'm kind of nervous about the idea of taking on a leadership Mm -hmm. position, which is why I'd love to hear how other leaders are able to kind of do that. I hear a lot of people talking about working 24 seven who are in Mm -hmm. leadership roles. And so that's something that at this point, I need to be able to give some focused attention to my kids and I, they're so young right now. And I don't even, even now I feel stretched, you know, my four-year-old son will take my hand if I'm like on my phone and grab my face and lift my face up to look at him. He's like, mommy, mommy, and hold my head and look up. And it's a good reminder. Okay, great. Putting this away for the night or the weekend or bedtime or whatever the boundary you've set for yourself for thinking about taking that break and being done. And listening to your own kids. My son Dash does the same thing. He said to me a week ago, you're always grading. And that's why last week I made a big effort. I said, "I, I know, honey, I'm sorry. He said, you never have time for me. You're always grading. You're always grading. 
Well, that That's is a right. good reminder. It was a good reminder. And I, I so thought our kids to myself, are so wise. Right. Why don't I don't have to grade every night? I feel like I do, but that's pressure I put on myself. Mm -hmm. So, so how are you surviving and thriving this week? It's not a complete episode of Wondrous Moms if we don't share how we're surviving and thriving during the week. I think by prioritizing. I think that's the way I have been trying to and putting more boundaries up. And I really like your suggestion about not checking email over the weekend. I need to be better about that because I think then it puts me into work mode when I shouldn't be in work mode. I should be with my family. 100% agreed. Mm -hmm. So I am thriving by reminding myself to have a little fun. So like yes. I did, I talked about my Halloween costumes and we went out in um, the neighborhood here in town. That's just so fun on Halloween. And I love watching all the families and children and the hosts who were receiving the trick-or-treaters had just amazing tricks up their sleeves, haunted wow. houses awesome. and costumes and blow-up costumes that they were in and oh, handing out candy. Fun. And it was just super fun. So just reminding to stop, a reminder to stop and have a little bit of fun to round out all that email and all that to work stress. Especially on a Friday which is today's a Friday and it's a good day. And my family is going to first Friday in a week where they open up businesses at mm -hmm. night and we're going to go have dinner and socialize with a bunch of families. And that's a priority for me tonight. That sounds Not wonderful. Not doing work. That yes. sounds like a great idea. So, all right. This has been episode two of Wondrous Moms. Thank you so much for listening and being a part of our community. To all the wondrous moms out there surviving and thriving as educators and moms, we've got you. We always welcome your feedback, tips, tricks, ideas, and questions about how you are surviving and thriving as educator moms. You can message us at wondrousmoms at gmail.com or follow us at wondrousmoms on Instagram. Of course, we always appreciate you sharing the Wondrous Moms podcast with your tribe and leaving us a supportive review on iTunes. It's the best way to reach all the Wondrous Moms out there and support the collective work we are doing. Till next time.